Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather tonight. Uh, We do thank you, Lord, for the great help that you have provided us. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, but also, Lord, for the legions of angels that are watching over us that you've provided for our welfare. So we ask you, Lord, you'd help us as we discuss this tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. These text verses that we've read over the past several messages are, of course, talking about the enemy. And Paul is not really talking here about all the help that God has given us to to, to fight against this enemy. He says here, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And that would be a very frightening thought for us as Christians if we didn't know that there is a counterpart to all of these evil things that are out there, the powers and the rulers and the spiritual wickedness, uh, we would be frightened beyond measure if we had to face that without some kind of help. Now, Paul talks about here in Ephesians 6, uh, the adversary in the conflict. He's the devil. The Bible tells us he is a great deceiver. He's the accuser of the brethren, and he's a very powerful being. He has legions of angels that that help him or at his disposal. He calls on them whenever he needs them. We can't fight against him. We can't see him. We don't have anything tangible that we could put into our hands where we could strike at the devil, where we could shoot him, or whether whether we could hit him with something. We just don't have any of that. And so we're defenseless and we're susceptible to all the evil tricks that he has. But thank God for this. We do have a counterpart to those evil angels. Now, God could have chosen otherwise for us to win this battle. If God had wanted to, he could have spoken the word and and all this evil would be gone, completely obliterated. But God hasn't chosen to do that. And we may not understand why. Uh, I don't really know all the reasons why that God didn't do this in a different way. None of us can see into the mind of God and we don't know why he did this. But God did not choose to fight the battle that way. Instead, he did give us some help, and he was pleased to give us help. So God uh, is pleased to offer assistance through the starry host of heaven. So he has angels that he helps us with. They help us fight the battle. And we're going to talk about these angels tonight and for the next two weeks. And hopefully we'll be able to better understand what the scriptures have to say about the angels. So we've looked at the resume of the enemy. Now we're going to look at the resume of our allies. I think the first thing that we need to discuss when we talk about angels is the truth about angels. What is the truth about angels? Because there is a lot of controversy, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of false ideas, a lot of mixed up people when you start to talk about angels. Uh, Religion has a view of angels, and many times what you find in, in religion is completely wrong. Uh, Hollywood has a view of angels, and almost always what Hollywood has to say is wrong. You have people like the New Age movement, and they're, they're very heavy into angelology, and they're, they're just totally wrong with what they have to say about angels. Well, part of what makes th- this issue really so deep is the intense interest that people have in this subject. 
Uh, people are fascinated by it. Uh, many people are even obsessed with the idea of angels. Now, I didn't say possessed. They are obsessed with the idea of, uh, of that there are angels out there, and they really want to know more about them. Lots of times you can be preaching, and people will sit there and look at you and, and uh, halfway asleep like Dave over there, and uh, and they're, they're not really paying attention. But the moment that you mention angels, people will perk up and they'll look at you and their ears, their ears, because they're really interested in hearing what you have to say about angels. So even though there are many people that are interested in it, though, you don't find very much teaching about it. Hardly any sermons are preached about angels. And I confess, I don't preach often about angels and don't talk about them a whole lot. And so what's left out there is really the perversion of the devil. Now, I mentioned things like the, the New Age movement, and when you get into that, you're talking about something that's almost totally satanic in the viewpoint of angels. So we're going to look at what the Bible says about angels, because the Bible is the only place that you can go to find out about the spiritual world. If you want to know about it, go to the Bible. Well, the word angel and angels is mentioned about 280 times in Scripture. And if you go and you, you look up all the references that have to, uh, the different names of angels and different things that refer to angels, angels are talked about about 500 times in the Bible. So there's a lot of information, and we're not short of information in Scripture about angels, and that may cause us to wonder why are so people, people so confused about it. Well, the reason is that they must not go to the Bible to find out about it. They've got other ideas that people have put out there, and so those are the things that they follow. So what really is the truth about angels? Well, I think the first truth that we need to point out is that angels are not dead humans. And that's probably the number one misconception that people have, that when you die, that you become an angel. And that's really the Hollywood version of angels. I don't know how many movies that I've seen that make reference to this. They talk about people dying and going to heaven and they become angels or, or they earn their wings and become an angel. Um, we're just a little bit past Christmas now, but everybody seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Now, here's the honest truth. Honest truth. That movie has probably been on 7,000 times and I've never watched it all the way through. But uh, every year they have It's a Wonderful Life on television. And as I understand it, because I haven't watched the whole thing, I watched a little bit, about this, a little bit of it this Christmas and did see some of it. But in this, in this movie, there's a person who died, and, and he's sort of like a second-class angel. And for years and years and years, he's been trying to earn his wings and so, so he could become a first-class angel. So he comes along and he helps Jimmy Stewart by proving to him that life is worth living. And uh, in the end of the movie, everything works out well. And there's an illusion that this angel has finally earned his wings. That's a wonderful life. But it's terrible Bible. The Bible doesn't say anything about like that. You hear people say this. Well, when sweet mama dies, well, God has another angel. I've heard that many times. Talk about people that die and they become angels. And I've heard um, people say that they know a loved one who died and they came back and they appeared to them as an angel. Well, if that happens, folks, whatever appeared to you is not an angel. It might be bad pizza or something like that. Uh, it might be a deceptive evil servant, uh, uh, evil uh, spirit, but it's not a person. It's not a person who's died because angels are not dead people. Angels are a special creation from God. 
They were created before humans were created, and they belonged to a completely different order than humans. Now, we know that angels were created before man because when God put Adam into the Garden of Eden, uh, Satan had already fallen, and we know that Satan was an angel. In Psalm 148, we're told, "'Praise ye him, all his angels. Praise ye him, all his hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded, and they were created.'" So unlike men, uh, every angel is a special creation from God. Recently, somebody asked me a question. Uh, they said, is, is every human a unique creation from God? And they really thought this, that every time that a baby is born, and some people believe this, that every time that a baby is born, that that is a unique creation from God. And some believe that because what they're trying to do is to get around the idea of the Bible's teaching that the sinful nature is passed on from one person to another, passed on from the father to the child. And so to get around that, they'll say things like, every child, every baby that's born is a special creation from God. But the Bible does not teach that every human is a direct creation. But angels are different. Angels do not come into being by procreation, God created the angels, and he created every one of them individually. And when he created the angels, the number of angels was forever fixed. It never increases, and the number of angels never decreases. Angels are not born, and neither do angels die. Now, Matthew, Jesus was, was talking about our state when we get to heaven. Uh, people were asking him questions about, uh, or actually they were trying to trick him when they asked him this question, but they were wondering about marriage in heaven. And if you had more than one wife, which wife would you have when you got to heaven? And Jesus used the angels as an example. He says in Matthew 22, verse 30, For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage. Now there he's talking about people. And a lot of people wonder about this. And they sometimes even get upset about it. When I get to heaven and I'm going to be married to the person that I'm married to now, uh, will there be marriage in heaven? Well, the Bible teaches there is no marriage in heaven. And Jesus used the angels as an example. He says, but for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. People don't marry, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And so what he means there is there is no marriage relationship. And so there is no procreation, even as angels do not procreate. Angels are created by God, and they're a different order from humans, and humans do not become angels when they die. In fact, I don't want to become an angel when I die, and that's because God created the angels to be ministering spirits. The Bible says that we're going to judge angels, so we're actually going to be elevated above angels, so we shouldn't want to be an angel when we die. So that's a, that's a misconception. Angels are not dead people. Now, the second thing, the second truth about angels is that not all angels are good. And that should be evident from the study that we have about Satan. Satan was once a holy angel. He was created in beauty and holiness. We talked about him from the Old Testament where it says that he was the anointed cherub that covereth. And that meant that he had a, a special relationship, a special closeness to God. He was right next to the throne of God. But Satan fell. And as we know, the Bible indicates that one-third of all the angels joined him in his rebellion and fell with him. And so that means then that not all angels are good angels. The numbers of fallen angels, we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how many there are. 
But certainly we do know this, that there are enough of them that uh, it makes Satan's influence known throughout the world nearly ubiquitous without the, throughout the world. Now, what I think is interesting about it is that now we have fallen angels and those that are fallen and those that remained in their holiness have been fixed forever in that state. And we talked a little bit about that as we were studying about Satan. Our concentration tonight really is about the elect angels or the holy angels of God. But here is a very important point about angels that neither Satan nor any of the fallen angels can now turn around and become holy angels again. And the reason they can't do that is because God did not provide any atonement for fallen angels. God made no provision for the angels to be forgiven. And so there's not one of those angels that could turn around and become holy again. Nothing has been done to satisfy God's justice for their sin. Uh, at least not in, this, or it's not in the same way that, that Christ satisfied God for our sins and became an atonement for us. So these angels that fell, they will suffer forever in eternity because their sins are against a holy God. And there's no one who has paid for their sins. Now, that's a kind of an amazing thing to me because there are people who complain that we teach that God elected uh, some people to salvation and there are others that God has chosen to pass over and to lead them to the just consequences of their sin. And they say, well, that's not fair. God can't be fair to do that. It's not right for God to ensure that there's a chance for every single person in the world to be saved. Well, the question is, do we deserve a chance to be saved? Don't the angels that fell... Don't they deserve a chance to be saved? I mean, they were deceived by, by Satan just as we are, as we were. So why don't they deserve a chance to be saved? Well, the truth is that salvation is in the hands of the sovereign God. He does everything according to the counsel of his will. And we don't deserve a chance. Not one of us deserves a chance to be saved any more than a fallen angel deserves a chance. The reason that we're saved is because of God's mercy and his grace and not because God was ever obligated to offer us or to give us any kind of a chance to be saved. But let's talk about these angels. The ones that didn't fall, these are pre forever preserved in holiness. So after Satan fell and after these evil angels fell, God did not allow any more defections. And so there's never been another fall and there never will be another fall or rebellion of angels. So God has preserved the holy angels in holiness. Now that maybe brings up a complaint for people as well. Because now these angels uh, no longer have free will to serve or not to serve God. They must serve God. They're preserved in holiness and they must serve God. Now, people are so concerned about God infringing upon our supposed free will by bringing us to Christ and making a change in our hearts. Well, they'd have a huge trouble spot when you start talking about angels because angels are preserved in that holiness and they must serve God. They can't turn away from him. So those angels are preserved in holiness. So fallen angels are what we call non posse, non picari. And that means not able not to sin. And holy angels are called, called non-posse picari, and that means not able to sin. So what all that means is evil angels cannot avoid sinning. They must sin, they will sin, and yet holy angels cannot sin. There's no sin they could ever commit. So the good angels then are referred to as either holy or as the elect angels of God. 
Jesus said in Mark 8, 38, Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So that's one designation, holy angels. Then Paul gives us the other one in 1 Timothy 5, verse 21. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one another before another, doing nothing by partiality. So they're called elect angels. And I love the word elect because those are angels that have been chosen by God to remain holy. And so these are angels that cannot fall. And that tells me that I can be ever so thankful, and you ought to be too, that you're one of God's elect. Because when God has chosen you, you will be forever preserved in holiness. In heaven, you'll be in holiness forever and forever. Now, the next thing, the next truth about angels is that angels are innumerable. And when I say innumerable, uh, there is most definitely a definite number of angels because God did create a definite number. He's no longer creating angels. Someone might ask, well, why doesn't God create more angels? Or couldn't God create more angels? Well, the reason that he doesn't is because God is infinite and God is omniscient. And so he couldn't one day say, well, I need to make some more angels. You know, I didn't make enough angels in the first place. We really do need some more angels. So I think that I'll make some more. So God would be saying, well, I made a mistake. I didn't make enough angels in the first place. Well, God's omniscient. He knows better. So God doesn't live in time. And and when he created angels and when he did all of the creation, he created everything that he needed to create at one time. So he doesn't have to do that again. So there is a finite number, but we just don't know what that number of angels is. Uh, Someone has suggested that the number of angels may, in fact, be as many as the stars that there are in the heavens. And, of course, scientists tell us that there are billions upon billions of stars. We talked about that a little bit uh, before uh, in, in our galaxy. I, our galaxy is just a medium-sized galaxy. And I believe, if I remember the numbers, about 250 billion stars in the Milky Way. And that's just one medium-sized galaxy. And the Bible seems to refer to angels like stars. And so that leads people to believe that there may be as many even as the stars that are in heaven. In the 148th Psalm, uh, we also read there, Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him all his angels. Praise ye him all his host. Praise him sun and moon. Praise him all ye stars of light. And so angels in Scripture are presented to men as being innumerable. Hebrews says, But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Revelation 5.11 says, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands. In part number two of the message, we're going to get back to this and talk a little bit more about it. But that innumerable company of angels is available to the people of God. You know, we think about that number of angels that fell. Satan fell. One-third of all the angels fell. Well, that's a lot of angels. But the good news about it is two-thirds of the angels didn't fall. And those two-thirds and God are on our side. And that tells you who's going to become the victor in this battle. So we have two-thirds of all the angels that are on our side. Now, the fourth thing about angels is that angels are invisible. 
Angels are spirit beings. The Bible describes God as a spirit, and it says that no man has ever seen God, and that's because you can't see God because he's a spirit. Uh, God would have to materialize, and of course, that's why Jesus came. He took on a body so we'd be able to identify with him, be able to see him. So in order for an angel to appear, an angel would have to take on some kind of a material body. And in fact, angels have done that. We read the Old Testament. We find several examples where angels came in the bodies of men. For instance, you go back and you read that story about Lot in Sodom and the angels that were sent to him. And they definitely appeared in the form of men. In Genesis chapter 19, it says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. So these were angels that appeared as men. I mean, to Lot, they look like men. Lot said, you can come into my house, you can wash your feet, you can rest here, you can sleep here, you can get up in the morning and go on your way. And so they appeared to him as men. And then you may remember that, that God allowed a donkey one time to see an angel. Now, I don't think myself that that time that that particular angel appeared as a man, but the donkey was able to see an angel. And that's when... Uh, Uh, Balaam was on his way to consort with Moab and he was riding the donkey. And as he was going on his way, there was an angel that stood in the way of the donkey and only the donkey could see him. At that point, um, uh, Balaam couldn't see him. And so Balaam, uh, Balaam was riding the donkey and the donkey sees that angel and he's not about to go into the path where that angel is. And so the the donkey kept going out of the way because the angel kept appearing. Well, finally, the the angel appeared and and stood right in front of that donkey. And the donkey said, I'm not taking this on. And so the donkey sat right down in the middle of the road. Well, that made Balaam very angry. So he took out a whip and he started to beat the donkey. And the donkey turned around and looked at Balaam and said, Hey, dude, I mean, what are you hitting me for? And then God opened the eyes of Balaam. But just before that, Balaam kept whipping that donkey and, and he got in an argument with that donkey and started talking about what's going on here? Why do you keep stopping? You've made me mad. And, and Balaam didn't realize that that, that that donkey had seen that angel. And so God opened his eyes and finally he did see that there was an angel standing in the way. So that was an angel that materialized in some way so he could be seen. Then uh, I mentioned the story several times about Elisha and how that God allowed Elisha's servant to see uh, an angelic army that surrounded his house. There was Elisha and his servant that were about to be uh, killed by the Assyrian army, and God just opened the servant's eyes, and he was able to see a whole host of, angel- uh, of angelic beings that were surrounding and, and with their chariots and, and, and ready to, to do battle to defend them. Well, those angels appeared in some kind of a body. The Bible doesn't say they appeared as men there, but they appeared in some kind of body in order for that servant and for Elisha to see them. And then in the New Testament, there are examples where people saw angels. There were two angels that appeared as men at the ascension of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So there are angels that appear as men. 
At other times, there were angels that appeared in some other form and they could be seen. And that's what happened at the resurrection of Christ. Matthew 28, it says, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And here's his description. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And so there's an angel that appeared in some form, apparently not the form of a man because of this description that it's given. And then there's, there are lots of stories. I mean, if you listen to very much preaching, you'll, you'll hear people from time to time uh, who will say that they are very much convinced that an angel has appeared to them. I don't believe that angels today would appear in any other form than a man. And I don't think that if you actually saw an angel, that you would even know that it was an angel right then. I don't think there's any way that you would know that. In Hebrews, it says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And people will take that verse and and they'll use that to prove that we will entertain strangers sometimes who are angels. And they try to prove then that angels do appear as men today. But actually, that verse is not a proof for that. What the verse is actually telling us is that when, when the angels appeared, it's, it, it's referring to that incident with Lot and Abraham, that when those angels appeared to Lot and to Abraham, that Abraham treated them respectfully and showed hospitality to them, not knowing at first that they were angels. And so the teaching of that passage is really about hospitality, that you're always supposed to be hospitable towards people. But I don't think that it excludes the fact that angels could appear as men today. So I don't think you can rule out the possibility. I do know we're not told to pray to angels. We're not to look to angels. We're not to try to enlist angels for our aid but God dispenses the angels as he sees, sees fit. Now, as I said, there, there are some people who claim that they have seen angels. There are people who desire to see angels. I heard the story once of a preacher who was in his office one day, and he was praying, and he said, Lord, I, I really do want to see an angel. And uh, the Lord allowed an angel to appear to him. And just like that, an angel appeared. Well, he was so excited about that that he wanted to take a picture of the angel. So he got out his camera and asked the angel to pose for him, and he took the picture of the angel. Well, he went to get it developed, and when it was developed, all he could see was a bright flash of light. And the moral of the story is, the spirit was willing, but the flash was weak. There you go. Number five, about angels. The truth about angels, angels are warriors. Angels are warriors. People have a lot of strange ideas about angels. One of the popular notions is that angels sit around on clouds all day. They play harps and they sing songs. But you know, there's actually no verse of Scripture in the Bible that says that angels sing songs. You know, we sing at Christmas time, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. But the Bible doesn't say that the angels actually sang when they announced the birth of Jesus. There's nothing in there about singing. The Bible doesn't say that angels play harps, and neither does the Bible say that angels blow trumpets. There's a popular song that says, Come on, Gabriel, blow your trumpet. And we expect that when Christ comes, that that Gabriel is going to, to blow a trumpet, and all the dead in Christ shall rise. Well, if we're waiting on Gabriel to blow the trumpet, we might be waiting a long, long time 
because the Bible never says that Gabriel will blow a trumpet or ever did blow a trumpet or that any angel ever blows trumpets. He might, they might, angels might blow trumpets, but the Bible doesn't say so. When you talk about this, though, there, there are people that really get bent out of shape sometimes about it. And they absolutely do insist. Angels will sing. Angels absolutely sing. And then there are some preachers who will say, well, no, angels absolutely do not sing. Angels can't sing. And that's because angels don't know anything about salvation, and so they can't sing about things like that. They haven't been saved, and so they don't know about, about being saved. And admittedly, the Bible does say that when the song of the redeemed is sung, that the angels don't sing that song. But are angels prohibited from singing? Have they ever sung? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say that they do or they don't. It doesn't say they play hearts. It doesn't say they blow trumpets. It doesn't say they sing songs. We've got to wait to see if angels actually do those things. So my point here is, we ought not ever to make some kind of a doctrine out of something that the Bible doesn't clearly say. But there are some things that we know for sure about angels, and that is that angels are not sweet little innocent babies like Cupid with a, with a bow and arrow. And that's the picture a lot of people have sometimes of an angel. It's a little like a little baby. Cupid, that's an angel. Well, angels are not like kids in the school play with a halo over their head and with uh, uh, gold-tipped wings. Angels are warriors. Angels are prepared to do battle. And the Bible never says anything about angels carrying bows and arrows, but angels do carry swords. That's the way that they're equipped. When God cast Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, he put angels there to, to keep them out. And they had flaming swords. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. When David sinned against God by numbering the people, God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. We can read about it in First Chronicles chapter 21. It says, And God sent an angel unto Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying... The Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough. Stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand, stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. When the Donkey saw the angel. The angel had a sword drawn, and that donkey was not going to challenge him. God sent an angel to kill 185,000 Assyrians in the time of Isaiah and Hezekiah. Hezekiah and Isaiah both prayed that God would protect them from Sennacherib, the king of the Assyrians. And so in one night, God sent an angel that killed 185,000 Assyrians. It killed all the men of valor, the Bible says, all the captains and all the leaders of the Assyrians. So angels are warriors. There's nothing sweet about angels. They're innocent, that's true, but there's nothing sweet about an angel. Now, that's the whole point of the resume of the allies. And that's because as big and tough and mean, as awful as Satan is, we have angels on our side that are every bit as much able to fight against him and go toe-to-toe with him, stand up against him. Angels aren't sissies. 
like we get in our mind. Angels aren't, I don't mean that women are necessarily sissies, but they're not angels. uh, Women are not, uh, angels are not women. Angels are actually sexless. They don't appear, they appear as men whenever they're in scripture, but they're warriors, they're fighters. And the Bible tells us that they're on our side and they're fighting for us. So they surrounded Elisha and fought for him. They, They fought for Hezekiah and for Isaiah and those warriors are on our side. And then one day, In the end of the ages, there's going to be a final conflict, and the angels will come to fight with us side by side. Now, we're going to read this, and this will be the the last scripture we'll read tonight, and we'll finish the message in Revelation chapter 19. I want you to turn there, if you would, please, and we're going to read a few verses here about angels, and about this, this conflict that's coming, and our allies that are going to be fighting with us. This is in Revelation chapter 19, verse number 11. Revelation nineteen eleven, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God." And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, of course, that's talking about Jesus. Verse 17, And I saw an angel... Standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet. Now remember that beast and the false prophet, the beast is the Antichrist and the false prophet is the the third person of Satan's unholy trinity. So you have Satan, the beast... Uh, who is the Antichrist and also this false prophet. And here it says this false prophet wrought miracles, and that's what deceived the people, wrought miracles before him which he, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh." Of course, this, what we've just read, is the account of the Battle of Armageddon. And that comes at near the end of the tribulation period. And then, uh, the, at that time, the beast and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. And then, after the millennial reign of Christ, of course, Satan is taken and cast forever also into the lake of fire. So, we have an enemy who has a very impressive resume. But he's no match for those that are fighting on our side. And we're fighting on the winning side. No doubt about that. We're going to win this war. Jesus is going to make sure of that. So if you're a child of God, you're on the winning side. And I hope all of you are children of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for what we've studied tonight, what we've read. We thank you, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ who 
helps us in this conflict, and then, Lord, has a mighty army that's always here to come to our aid. And, Lord, we just thank you for the help that we have, and we don't need to be depressed or despondent because we do have all the help that we need to overcome. We just need to trust in you. We pray, Lord, you might bless us in this time of invitation. Help us to be ever thankful for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.